0: Good morning everybody. Welcome to Iron Radio. This is Phil Stevens. I'm a coach, a powerlifter, a Highland Games athlete. And amongst other things.
1: Hey, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm an associate professor at the Kerrigan Institute, creator of the Flex Diet Cert and the Fizz Flex Cert. And I just got back to Helena, Montana yesterday. So I'll be here for one more day and
2: then we'll be Heading back home. Coach Darrell out of Strengthfield in KC. Uh, mostly, mostly things stuff these days, and just focusing on uh, getting our team to the state championships coming up in September. There you go. Nice.
0: It took 38 years. You guys have seen my left leg, so I have my left leg was surgically repaired. When I was seven, they replaced my femoral artery with a vein. So if you look at my left leg, I've got crazy ass veins all over it because of restricted blood flow from one vein in your life. Anyways, it took 38 years and I punctured a vein finally yesterday.
1: Oh, shit.
0: Yeah, I was working on a new room at the building and I was carrying a drill and it literally just tapped my leg. Wasn't running or anything, but it tapped my leg. I looked down and it tapped right on a vein. And there was blood shooting like two and a half feet out of my leg. I was like, "Ah, look at that!" (laughs) Oh, there was like a pint of blood all over the floor. Hmm. So I'm good. Some duct tape and uh, or athletic tape and some gauze fixed it right up. So (laughs) was
1: that an actual vein or something that they had rerouted to use the vein for an artery? Because you said it was kind of so. What they
0: did is, uh, (laughs) well, it was a vein, but uh, it was shooting. Um, but uh, so what they did to me when I was little is they took the main one of the main veins and used it to patch up the artery.
1: Oh that I, sure.
0: the my femoral artery. And so they just deleted that vein. So basically, in that left leg, in my left leg, there's just huge veins because they took up the space of that other vein. Right. And yeah, basically it was, it was a vein running straight down my shin, and uh, right on the surface. And it was oh yeah, it was shooting man. Like two feet out of there. It was crazy. But, yeah. It was just a little pinhole. But pretty neat. So a little I was surprised it took, Yeah. I was surprised it took thirty eight years because I always joked about that. I was like like my wife will put her finger over my vein and I'll act like I pass out and things like that. You know, that wasn't <laughs> such a joke.
1: I bet um, she loves that.
0: Oh yeah. So <laughs> Uh, no, other than that, I was looking at powerlifting news and, like, we talked about a whole bunch of world records last week, but, uh, I'm gonna murder this name because I'm not French. But, Nabil Lalo, L-A-H-L-O-U, uh, deadlifted five times his body weight. He lifted, uh, 785 pounds, weighing at 155.
1: Oh, Jesus. So, uh,
0: he did it with straps, but still, uh, oh. it's just a training video, and uh apparently he's the second person to do it. Lamar Gant, who everybody should know if you follow powerlifting, it's, uh, did it several times. He did it weighing 123 and 132. I didn't know this. He also benched 350 at 132. Really? Yeah. With those long-ass arms. That's I figured insane his for up. his structure. Yeah. Yeah. And he squatted over 600. Yeah. So, but I just thought it was pretty neat. Big guy. That's a lot. I mean, that's like what what I, I weigh 252 right now. i got <laughs> to lift 1,260 pounds to match that. Oof. So,
1: what was Steffi Cohen's record for deadlift relative to the body weight? I'm oh. trying to remember now. I
2: should know. Yeah, I should know too, but eat, but. She did Like five forty-five at right. I think that's the number. Yeah, that's probably it.
0: Um, stuff we go five forty-five. Yep,
2: deadlift. Good job. And but she, she was winning
1: like
0: one hundred and some pounds.
2: Dude, I yeah, I thought she was. The, I, I maybe she competed at one. I thought she maybe competed at like one thirty something or one. Is it one thirty or one forty?
0: She's not a big girl. But I saw that oh, uh, she did it at five oh one at one twenty one. She Okay, that's
1: the one I was thinking of. And then she did so... one after that, obviously you said. Yeah. And I think that was a slightly higher body weight, but not yeah. by that much. So that's 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 huge too. Crazy stuff. Yeah.
0: Speaking of her, I guess she finally lost her first fight. Oh really? But it was against somebody really good, like a ranked competitor. Oh wow! <laughs> and uh, so she's come onto the scene there pretty good in boxing, from what I know. I mean, I don't know her personally, but I know a lot of people that know her well. And yeah, she uh, she's been taking that training very seriously. So oh, from what I hear, cool.
2: but okay. <sighs> doing all the drills, catching tennis balls and stuff here and there. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, pops up on. IG. (laughs) Other than that, man, I got nothing.
0: Uh, Football starts or started. So, I'll be watching Preseason, right? Yep. Preseason started. Already tons of injuries this year. Oh, really? Like seven different people that are out for the year already. Wow. I don't know. Like
2: Zach Wilson was. Yeah. Yeah, Zach Wilson went out last night. They think it's an ACL. do Do you think it's like a like a lack of off-season conditioning or off-season That's strength conditioning.
0: It could be, I mean, for a lot of these players, because a lot of them you see are the ones that hold out and don't go to, you know, they're veterans and don't feel like they need to go to OTAs and things like that. I
2: have, I have no no data to back this up, and this is just I feel like this is just something I maybe kind of just noticed or, you know, think I noticed during the year. I feel like the majority of, like, Kind of big injuries happen really early. Mm -hmm. Some happen late for sure, but they're almost different. Like you can almost tell it's like overused by the end of the season. Mm -hmm. But like the big, like, you know, and I've always been curious is like, what do they do in the off season? And like, how are they training? Because, and, and maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they are training hard and they get stronger or something yeah. and they go into the sport or something like that. But I I would think especially coming out like a a first series, you know, it can mm-hmm. come out in a preseason game, it's like your first series and if you're a starter, you're only gonna do one series. Yeah. So it maybe has something to do with the adrenaline or something, but
0: Yeah, very well could. And then there's also that point about and you see coaches argue it all the time and it's like, do we even play the starters in preseason? But then if you don't, then yeah. you're throwing them in it, the fire, man. Like, they went from zero to fucking
1: all out. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, Especially yeah. with newer people on the team, depending on who's yeah. been traded, who did they pick up, et cetera. Yeah. It's like, hey,
0: eh, here you man, go. How don't they're, in the NFL. Yeah.
2: So I mean, how they're training, I think, would be interesting. Like, because... I mean, a lot of them follow, like, really silly stuff, too. Like, mm-hmm. some do legit stuff, so some other, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. I'd be curious to see, like, what... I mean, I would think the NFL would maybe look into, like, check on that. Like, what are you guys doing in the off season? Like, why are we dealing with this? Yeah, all these injury? injuries. Yeah, there's and been the lots of knees. That are, like, non contact. Yeah. yeah. Lots of
0: knees and things like that. Uh that's yeah, about some of Tim know.
2: Gabbard stuff or looking
1: at load spikes, right? So if you've got a high level athlete who hasn't really trained much at all, they come in, like they went from zero to whatever. You know, that's mm-hmm. gonna be a pretty pretty big load spike. And then Keith Barr has some very interesting stuff about soft tissue injuries that are non contact. And there's some other interesting data about how just like muscle your soft tissue adapts to different loads and forces placed upon mm-hmm. it. And, you know, maybe the soft tissue just wasn't prepared for, you know, for those loads, especially with non contact stuff. Like to me that should be very preventable to a high degree. You know, if you have some other three three fifty massive mammal hit you at Yeah. A certain angle. Some stuff's just gonna break. But if no. it's a non-contact injury, like, you would imagine those should be relatively low by this point.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's like, uh well, there's an interview, because, well, the Chiefs play this weekend, or tonight, today at noon, and people were talking about, like, don't play Patrick Mahomes at all. Hold him out. And he's like, no. He <clears> said, I need in there. He said, my goal of the preseason is to go get hit. He said, I need <laughs> to remind myself I'm in the NFL. You know? Yeah, But <laughs> well, I mean, that would be a shock. You go from like nothing like in camp. They can't even touch you. Oh, so, yeah. of course, it's a totally different game. And that's like everybody tries to play up training camp. Oh, did you see those passes? Yeah, but they're literally like not. He's not scared at all. They're right. not allowed to touch him. Yeah. You know, it's a totally different game. There all day. So, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's a totally different pace and a totally different game. And that's what you see. You know, all the new guys, they all would constantly talk about it with all the rookies. It's like, okay, they need to learn the speed of this game because it's totally different than college. Cause basically you just took out of a million college players, you picked out the top 100 and built teams. Yeah. Around. You know, so everybody's a stud. You're like, your, your students sitting on the sidelines are college studs. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's just, you get that mass, that much humanity running into each other at high velocities and. Yeah, things are gonna happen,
2: but but I'll say at least on the other side. Because my my thing with the early injuries is under training in the off season would mm-hmm. be my sure. that would be like my hypothesis on that. Yeah, but the Rams. So the Rams swapped their. uh So the Rams swapped out for like they they track like steps and I want to say maybe they track HRV or something like that. They started doing this like you know analysis. With like step track, you know, tracking their daily steps with like Apple watches or something like that. And they use it to tailor their practices during the season. Mm. And they said it cut down on their, their injuries there. So like maybe it's an under training in the off season, over training during the regular season. Yeah. Which I would think about that too. Cause like late in the season, you know, some of those practices start adding up. Yeah. Like, not necessarily just the games, but, like, those practices add up, too. And I don't know how you would... I mean, I don't know how you would practice for an NFL game because... I mean, that's a rough league. Like, These are super athletes, you know? Yeah, basically every week,
0: you're getting into, like, 27 car accidents. Yeah. And and then you get a week off, and you get to do it again. So... uh.
2: I'd be interested in that if if I like. I think the NFL would have to step in and start tracking stuff, but not, yeah. and I don't think they would. You know, the players 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 union would hate yeah. that. But I, it would be interesting for sure. I, I'd be curious about that.
0: Yeah, you see them constantly doing yeah. stuff. This year, they put in those uh, the new pads on helmets and things like that to try and help with stuff so I mean they're constantly innovating things but yeah I think you're right I mean because they also I mean what you're talking about is much like what they're talking about when people hold out They said you see it a lot of times people hold out they'll skip camp they'll skip this and then they come in they're not in game shape and they get hurt you know they it's not in game shape and they get thrown into the fire and it's like those those reps are meaningful just getting your body back used to all that contact and that speed and
2: you know can I get the fear of, like, wanting to, like, really lift heavy or, or you know, like, yeah. do certain, like, lifting stuff. I, I get, I understand the concern with that. But what kills me is, like, they do stuff that's so soft and, like, so easy. Yeah. That I wonder if it's just, like, way underneath performance. Yeah. I mean, like, like they can so, so it's away from that. their
0: threshold that it's not yeah.
2: helping. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even think about conditioning your, you know, joints, tendons, ligaments, like. And, and there's heavy stuff you can do that would. Maybe isometrics. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, like heavy isometrics. You got sl- like the sleds and GPP stuff. I, like that kind of stuff I feel like would be, you know, if, if I was training an NFL pro who's been in the league for a while. And I've had, I only had one guy who I've worked with who was in the league for a while. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't really trying to like, I mean, basically we just sweat alcohol out of him every session. So that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of me. Um, but is like GPP sessions with like, you know, obviously I would do a little bit more hypertrophy stuff in the off season, like really focus on putting masks back on and then loading for the Joints, like heavier sled drags, heavier yeah. backwards sled drags, you know, heavier sled pushes, like walk, just walking though, like nothing, Pounding. like, yeah, nothing too crazy and then still lifts. Yeah. You know, maybe do some different kind of strongman stuff, which I've liked that for football players for a mm-hmm. while, just like sandbags and stuff like that. But keeping a load on their body that's similar to the load that they would see, but more in a like safe manner. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you watch what they, a lot of the videos they post, it's like they're doing push-ups on bands and stuff like that. And you're like, okay, I mean, kind of get that, but the load decrease, because I think they lift heavier in college. Yeah. And they, and they get out, and they just start doing, like, the safest programming possible. And it's like, you probably want to, like, balance that out. Like, yeah. Yeah, and that's understandable to a point,
0: but, yeah, you still need to you know, have that stress on the body.
2: Do
1: something. Yeah. So. I bet Sean Mishka talked about that. He's like, you're you're looking for a balance where if you go too light on their training, they're not going to be prepared for this other massive human to run into them because mm-hmm. they're just, their body hasn't experienced enough stress. But, you know, you can't really take a risk of doing stupid stuff and injure them in training, yes. you know, so, yeah. but I think yeah. a lot of times you just see that, Pendulum historically kind of swing back and forth where, mm-hmm. yeah, in the past they probably did some stuff that's loaded too heavy, it was kind of stupid, and they started injuring people. And, you know, then they kind of swing a little bit too far to the other side. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Now are yeah. you potentially in a worse place because your loading's been so light? You get into a, another situation where your impact and rate of force development, all that stuff is much higher, and yeah. you're just not prepared for it.
0: Yeah, and that's yeah, where like I was just gonna say Go like Wendler's like Winler's plan that he uses, it just seems to make sense, but you don't see it a lot. Where you know they killed two days, they just did away with that. They left, and then their whole plan is, you know, generally what you see is people start the season and they're in amazing shape. By the end of the season,
1: yeah, they're
0: right. usually in their worst shape. Um. Now, now they know how to, they're used to playing the game, but you know, basically his, they back off, they keep lifting, and, but he wants his people, his kids at the strongest come state. You know, like their, intent, their, their intensity goes up, but the volume goes down due to games and practice and all that crap. And they just keep very basic, and they're not going for maxes, but like for him, of course, everybody knows it's like, it's training maxes and rep maxes, and he wants them at their absolute strongest. When they go into, to the final part of the season and, you know, in their best shape and not beat up. So, and that's like all their runs are like 80%, not a hundred percent. And, you know, so you get enough stressor to make advancements, but not enough to kill you. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a fine line. That'd be tough because especially when you're working with an athlete that's making like, he's on a contract for half a billion dollars. And, like, if you yeah. fucking hurt him, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you're done. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah, you're out of the, like, you are out of
2: the, uh, that field. Like, nobody's hiring you again. So. Yeah. It w- it's weird to me because it, and I don't think they, I haven't heard of anyone who, who does something like this, but, like, not necessarily weightlifting. Weightlifting is a good place to look, but track and field, mm-hmm. it's like, you got to have these people healthy for pretty much like a decade. And these guys stick yeah. with their, coach for like you know a decade plus and you look at how intensive they like track and monitor their performance metrics and like how i mean if you listen to uh forget his name but i basically was someone who was working with like the team in uk and he was saying something like he's like yeah you guys like in lifting, it was some sort of lifting podcast. Like in lifting, you guys might do 12 weeks, like up to, you know, a year. Let's say you do a year or four years. He was like, if you looked at our periodization cycles, you wouldn't even understand. Like, cause we're trying to, instead literally you start at the beginning of four years and you're, you're, it's not like you're guessing. It's like, you're aiming for that fourth year. And it's like, if you have that periodization cycle, like ability, mm-hmm. it's like, why would no teams look into it? Now, I understand in the NFL, it's, like, you got – and there's, like, especially in the AFC West, at least, there's no easy games anymore. So it's, like, it's hard to, like, truly periodize for, like, a chaotic sport. Yeah. It's, like, when do you want to be performing your best, as an athlete, at least? Yeah. Like, teams should be firing on all cylinders for sure. That's a That's a different concept. But in terms of athletically, like – like there's no way to like build into the sea, like you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's no, and I don't think there's anyone who has like some sort of even like thought process or answer on it on the subject. Like, all right, we do X, Y, Z week one, week two, week three. You know, aiming for if you're if you do a Super Bowl run, so there's what? Huh, there's only two preseason games or three?
0: Ah, oh, there's you would have a divisional round because you'd skip the wild card round. Divisional round, it'd, it'd be three games.
2: So after the regular yeah, so, season,
0: so 20 games,
2: the 20 games. And then if you're playing it for, if you're making a Super Bowl run, as I think the Chiefs always are right now. So you got to plan for basically like almost 30 weeks.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's like a, so 30 weeks and you have like three weeks that are like low, you know, low performance. You know, four weeks are ramping up, but ideally you'd be like kind of ramping up to midseason, like have a midseason peak, and then a postseason peak, right? Yeah, yeah, because that's uh, tough
0: one. Everybody talks about you know every game's important. It's like ah, eh, not like it's it's okay to lose three or four games because yeah. if you're going balls out all season, by the time you get to game 18 and you're in the playoffs, you're just cooked. You know? I mean so there is that balance where it's like, is it worth like even if everybody always talks about the perfect season, like is that worth it? Is that gonna hurt you come postseason because your guys are just they gave everything they had to win that week five game
2: that was essentially meaningless. Yeah. But uh I may ask Tom Brady if he'd like yeah. to have the you know, greatest team like that like that might have been the greatest team to ever be on the field. Yeah. When they went undefeated in the regular season, yeah, but lost in the Super Bowl. So
1: then you have it compounded by you know different players are playing different you know lengths, and some games go a little bit longer. You have you know offense time versus defense times, even though the game is the same length. And yeah, you know they've used devices like catapult and GPS and other things to try to account for you know, how much certain players move, what are the impacts, and, yeah, I mean, most NFL teams I know of now have at least multiple data science people, yeah. and that's all they look at is so just yep. data from it, but that has to get blended on top of what is the coaching, you know, culture, you know, all the way from mm-hmm. the coaches all the way even up to the GM. Yeah. You know, the 49ers were famous many years ago for – putting in a brand new program, looking at heart rate variability, all this other stuff. And they took a whole season to collect data, did what they normally did, started using the data the next season, you know, didn't have the best season in the world. And they basically cleaned house after that. New guy comes in. He's like, yeah, we don't use any of that shit. And like got rid of all of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know okay. so it's like, oh, and yeah. The answer is probably NFL. somewhere in between. You yeah. know, you probably yeah. want some data. Which data do you want? And then what is the culture and how do you make decisions? You know, mm-hmm. some cultures want to see percentages. Others don't care.
2: Yeah. That, that's a tough deal in NFL, too, because you get regime changes, and that's like a whole, like, you go from one training style to a whole new training style. Mm. And, I mean, it, you would think, like, In the NFL, and from what I had heard before, this is a while back. It might have changed since then. You'd think that if you're an NFL franchise, you would hire your guy for strength and conditioning, and then you have, like, a whole system for your, like, no, you're on our team. This is our system. Yes. The system for strength and conditioning. And in a situation where teams are successful, like the, we'll say, like, the Patriots and the Chiefs, right? They do that. Like they have. Like no, these. Uh This is the system. You know, obviously one is a little bit more fun to play in than the other. Yeah. But it's it's like no, we squat on Monday. Like you know what I mean? So having yeah, but
0: it seems like from what I've seen, it's also still once you're a veteran, you kind of have that choice, and a lot of them yeah, their own coach. You know, their own off season. Yeah. Strength and conditioning person, but yeah, like you're saying, it would be. It seems to be wise to have them all under one roof, but I think the hard part about that is, well, we'll take Kansas City, for example, because it's right here. Like all those people play for that team, but most of them don't live there. Right. Right. So in the off season, they're in Miami and like, in San Francisco and whatever. So like you'd have to talk all these dudes into like, Hey, come on back and hang out in humid ass Kansas
2: all summer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I'm good. So.
2: Uh, yeah, the off season I think there's no control, but in yeah. season you got basically thirty weeks of in season. And look you could probably say, hey, here's what performance wise, we want to see you at this we want to see you here, regardless of who your coach is. Yeah. You know, by the time you get back.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that comes down to all kinds of stuff. I mean, that's like listen to it this year. I think Chiefs is one of the last four teams that do a a training camp like they do now where they like we're going to the university. You guys are staying in dorm rooms for three months and you know, you're just getting away from life and concentrating on nothing but football where a lot of them aren't doing that now. They're doing it at their own place. Everybody gets to go home at night where these guys are just like 100% for a few months before the season. Like you got no kids, you got no wife, you just have football. Um, (laughs) Which I mean, at a point people bitch about that, but at a point it's like, man, somebody's paying these dudes like millions to play a game. So <laughs> you're going to what yeah, you're gonna do what I say. Yeah. You're we, going to do what I say. Like we're going, <laughs> you're sleeping in this kid's cot for two months or you can just eat shit and not make that much money. So, okay. but yeah, it's rough. So what you had a question come up with Jim.
2: Yeah. It's more like a, Conceptual question on uh assistance work and how it relates to what anthropometry I think that's how you would say it um like what assistance work or how you would because there's and I, I just kind of shorthand said this was like if you you are a short famer's long torso. You probably don't ever have to do like some sort of squat assistance work. Like the squat will probably be enough. Like you could just yep. squat and you'll get enough out of it. But if you have long femurs, then you can't train your posterior chain enough. Mm-hmm. Like your low back, mid back will always be like the, you know, the weak link. So you could all like, you always do more reps there. Always more hamstring, and definitely always like I don't think anyone can do enough, you know, glute stuff. Yeah. So, and I was just kind of explaining that to, in, in terms of like the difference. Where it's like, oh, this person basically just squats and that it seems to be enough. So it's like, I feel like I have to do a lot of posterior chain stuff. And it's like, yeah, you did. You know, and I hate that it's that way for you, but that's how it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can take this. I'll address
0: this from a at me perspective, you know, my own personal body as an athlete. And I have a really short torso compared to really long arms and legs. Like we measured it, and my legs are twice as long as my torso. Um, <laughs> almost exactly. And due to that, you know, I'm very strong at hip extension. Uh, because I have a short lever arm there. Like it just makes sense that, you know, when I load my torso at the hip, it's stronger than when I load my legs at the hip. Because the lever arm's much shorter. And so basically what it came down to is I was – the eye-opener for me was when I good-morninged with the safety squat bar more than I ever squatted. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I should probably just quit doing good mornings for a while because it was just way past my ability. You know, it's like, what's the point? At this point, I'm fucking – I'm good-morning a 100 pounds more than I can squat. So uh, –
1: Especially the safety squat bar.
0: Yeah, it was just horrible, but, uh, <laughs> but I could do it. And now, so basically I had to attack my weaknesses, which was always and is always going to be my long levers on my bench and my squat. What, what kills me is not my, my back strength because I have a short torso. It's, it's my legs and my arms on bench. So yeah, I mean, I 100% believe that, you know, how you're made up, uh, what your lever arms are like your assistance training needs to follow that. Whereas somebody, like I get athletes that have really short legs and long torsos, like uh, the majority of our time for them, for their squat and deadlift work, like in training, we try to keep them as vertical in the torso as possible because that's just how they're built. So we lean on their legs. But in assistance work, we do the opposite. It's like their weak link is always going to be bending at the hip. So we try and do that a ton and strengthen that up. Um, for me, it was a lot more lunges and leg presses and, and things like that to strengthen my legs. Cause the back, my back was just, it was there and it better than it ever was. So yeah, I mean, I definitely point, uh, how you're made up, how your lever arms are definitely controls
2: the assistance work that I'm giving individuals. So I haven't, I haven't done too much with like until now. Like this is, and I don't have anyone that like to so way that things a little bit different. Yeah in terms of like where you would break down on a lift and that's actually still what's up on like the West side. So it's actually pretty good articles like talks about essentially where you fail in the lift and like, what is like what type of stuff you should work on. And I, I still think it's pretty good. Now it's somewhat specific to like West side style lifting. So you have to like, or like gear lifting, I should say. Um But I still go back and look at that sometimes. and still kind of think about that, but, quads though I have undervalued underplayed the quad weakness and so longer like you longer limb people if I was like being specific I would bias the quads a little bit more like uh, slant board type squats like BMO type squats and like really like focus on starting to hit that hit the quads a little bit better even though the posterior chain is what's going to drive your lift, but your deadlift is already going to be, you know, up there. Yeah. So it's your quads that would need a little bit, extra work, quads, and maybe, you know, calves for balance or something like that. But
0: Yeah, I mean, in weightlifting, how many times have you seen it where somebody that's a strong puller can get the bar to their shoulders, but then they're just stuck? It's like they can't stand up. Like they can clean anything they want to their shoulders but their weakness then is, like, getting out of that squat. But... Yeah.
2: Way think, part of the way the thing is, like, because it's, like, speed strength, it's almost harder to, like, narrow down exactly what to, your weakness might yeah. be. Like, you can see it on the pull really easy, right? So if my – if your hips, you know, outrun your shoulders on the pull – this happens in deadlifting too, but some it's less... I mean, mm-hmm. the bar's not going as far, so it's not a yeah. big thing. And then you put all that load essentially into your back, and your back has to survive that portion. It's like, okay, well, the back and glute strength, right? Yeah. And then, you know, maybe hamstrings or whatever, depending on the balance of the So the the thing is a little bit different, and also practicing perfect reps can help fix it too. Like you don't have to like power thing I think is just more narrow. Like you can like, Oh no, you have to work this part. Otherwise you're going to keep failing at this place.
0: Well, it's so slow. It's easier to identify the weakness comparatively. So, but no, that's like in weightlifters. I mean, many times I'll have them practice, uh, we try and make it a habit to practice even easy cleans, catching them in the bottom and staying there for a second and then stand up. Just for the fact that once it gets heavy enough, that's just going to happen. You know, you're going to catch this ginormous weight and be like, Ugh, and then, okay, <laughs> fuck, I got to stand up. So getting in that habit of not being scared of that even is is a big jump, but.
1: And the only thing I would add, too, is it also depends on what are they training for. Like you guys mentioned, are they Olympic weightlifter? Are they a powerlifter? Are they a track athlete? Are they trying mm-hmm. to get better at a particular sport? Yeah. And I think if you're trying to get better at a particular sport, although this is changing and getting better, and I know Cal has talked a lot about this, as other other people have, you may want to bias the knee going more, over the foot, over the toe. I know mm-hmm. you've got the whole knees over toes and people that tend to go probably a little bit too far, <laughs> too mm-hmm. far on the other end of the spectrum now. Um, but that may not be their strongest position, but it may be what they need to prepare them for sport and the joint angles that they're going to see in sport, <laughs> even though their lifts may not be the, quote-unquote, the best or the best leverage according to physics in the gym either.
0: Oh, 100%. And that goes to... You know, the athlete, you take any athlete and you put them in the real world and or any person, really, um, they're going to lean on what their strength is. Yep. You know, no matter if that's the wrong way to do it, textbook wrong. It's just how they're built and how they're going to do it. It's like I do this at seminars all the time. I'll, I'll generally when I walk in, I will look for two different people that are made up completely different, one with short levers, one with long levers. And if you throw down a plate on the ground, generally the person with a short torso, long levers will bend over at the hip and pick it up naturally. And generally somebody that has short levers, like short femurs, will squat down and pick it up if they have a long torso. And that's just them from their natural life. It's like they lean on their naturally strong levers, strong and generally your strong lever is also your safe lever. Yes. Um, They'll lean on that naturally. So and we expect these people to throw or do their their competition the same way. Eh. And that's where that's where shit goes out the window for me. It, like I, I like picking on Ripto a lot. But like <laughs> this is the one way to squat. It's like, yeah, that's neat, but no. Yeah. You know, there there isn't one way. There now there's there's some rules you don't want to break, no matter who it is, but but everybody leans on stuff different. Look at Goggins and how he squatted. I mean, will no, I train somebody else? Will I train somebody else to do that? No, Ooh. but it was fucking perfect for him. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it worked really fucking well for him. Now, are we going to teach somebody else to do that? No, and that's just like like round back deadlift, Constantine. You know, yeah. he fucking now. If he'd have changed it, arguably, he wouldn't have done as much. Now, am I going to yeah. train other people to lift like him? No, you know. <laughs> It's like he followed the rules, and that's like me for round back deadlifters. Like you'll just know it if you're one; it'll happen. You know, yeah. I'm not going to train you to do that. Uh, it'd be it'd be wrong. I mean, I'm just going to get you hurt probably. But and that's like me in throwing. Like most people that are throwing shot puts, now that I'm throwing more again, like they they bend a lot of the legs and get a lot of leg drive out of it. For me, it's all I bend over at the torso. And it's kind of like an explosive good morning looking thing to throw. Uh, but I'm leaning on my strong, fast, safe lever. So no matter how much I train my legs, just due to how long they are, they're not going to be my strength. And that, that comes back to, sorry, long story short here, like I don't think, I think a lot of people mess up and pay attention too much to their weaknesses um, <laughs> and ignore their natural ability. It's like make your strength a fucking really strength. You know, push that yeah. even higher and you can get somewhere too. So. I yeah, mean, like focus on your strengths and like
2: cover your weaknesses kind yeah, of thing.
0: Don't do, just ignore your strength. Cause I mean, I'm guilty of that. Like after my hip replacement, I laid off on my deadlifting and good mornings and stuff like that. Just because I had sucked so long at squat comparatively. And now my squat's up 200 pounds from where it was. But my deadlift's down. And naturally I should be, and I've always been a good deadlifter. But it's just from total ignoring it. You know? <laughs> That's what happens. But, but I don't care because I mean, my only goal coming out of this was, hey, I got a new hip. I want to squat. This is fun. So, like squatting always sucked. So.
1: Yeah. Even going back to Constantine's deadlift, if you watch film of him, at least from everything I've seen, his spine isn't moving under load. Like no. he literally sets up in a position that works best for him, yes. and I think a lot of people misinterpret that where they they look at sort of the final position and they assume that he sort of kind of moved under load and ended mm-hmm. up in this kind of wacky looking thing. <laughs> like he he set up there, so from he starts
0: a, there. Yeah, yeah.
1: So from a yeah. biomechanical standpoint, I would much rather see that than someone who's moving under load. Yeah freaks me out a lot more yeah when there's breakdown
0: under load yeah he had no yep. breakdown under load he just started nope. there and that's yep. yeah i agree and that's like my first trip to train at, uh, with dave out of lead fts because i'm a round back puller and he was i noticed him watching me and he never <laughs> came going, over what are you and, doing? <laughs> he never came over and said anything and then until i got to like 675 and i pulled and he's like what's your best deadlift i said like, just under 800 he said okay i thought so and he's like i was gonna come over and talk to you and change he said because you're not setting your lats you're not doing this and that He said, but you're lifting how it works for you. You know, don't change a fucking thing. (laughs) (laughs) He said, just, you know, but it's basically don't have anybody else do that. And I was like, yeah, I know. I mean, that's one thing with me. I've told my, my people that from the start is like, just don't even fucking watch me lift because I'm an anomaly. You know, I I was ran over when I was seven. I've got, you know, I fucking move how I have to move. There's nobody out there that moves like me. You know, so if you try to copy me, you're just going to blow up. Um, and that's something learned over years. I mean, that's the, that's one of the tough parts about coaching is that yeah, it's just that it's every single body is an individual and some of the things will work across the population, but a lot of it has to be slightly tweaked for the individual. So especially form
1: wise, not reps and sets and basic programming, but, uh, so. Yeah, I went to a, a speed seminar that Chris Corfus, Dan Victor, and uh, Cal Dietz did here a couple weekends ago, and we talked about that, and that was great. And one of the guys I sat next to, I hadn't seen him for, God, probably four or five years, he had come over to my place, we had done a few sessions together, and I was just talking to him about, hey, you know, how's your lifting going and stuff, and he's like, yeah, it's like the biggest thing that you told me is that even on a symmetric lift, I don't have to be perfectly symmetric all the time. Uh-huh. i'm like no like you're gonna probably have just do the hip structure what you've done you're gonna have a little like my right leg is you know externally rotated a little bit more than my left uh-huh. and you know all those things are going to be somewhat normal for most people that doesn't mean don't try to set up symmetrically it just <laughs> yeah. means that out those little changes those little tweaks left to right or doing more unilateral work etc it's like oh it's like that made such a huge difference it's crazy mm-hmm. like, yeah Yeah, even those just small differences compounded by massive load and lots of volume over time. And that's like probably one of the bigger mistakes I made years ago was that I kept injuring myself every time I'd try to completely be perfectly symmetrical on everything. Yeah. And once I started paying more closer attention to it, I was like, oh. As soon as I just moved away from that, even just a little bit, it's like, oh, everything got better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And that goes into everything in life. I mean, I can relate yeah. this back to art school. It's like you look at somebody's face and you make it think symmetrical. There's not a symmetrical thing about their face. No. You know, eyes are normally in different places and things like that. Our whole body's that way. You know, the the Vitruvius man or whatever, that's medical neutral. Yeah. That's not real life neutral. You know, the individual's neutral is different. You know, Um and that I works just, in the medical field. But,
1: yeah. And I... I even now look at people and see kind of how far off neutral they are. Mm-hmm. And the more off neutral they are, the more we're going to have to change and slightly tweak most of their lifts. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, my right eye sits up and out, you know, nine more degrees, both vertical and horizontal <laughs> yeah. deviation than what it should. Exactly. You know, so it's unrealistic to expect that my structure is going to be perfectly s- symmetric after 48 years walking
0: around on the planet <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and then this also lays into the tough part that we came about is like and then you look at somebody and it's like okay they are this is how they are what are are those off neutral things unbalanced placements are they due to their build or are they due to a weakness that's right. also a tough you know because those can also be due to, okay it's He's got right glute weakness. So he's, you know, externally rotated more. What, you know, whatever. Is it, is it due to how they're built or is it due to a glaring weakness? So that's things you have to identify too. And it goes back to like when, when I started power lifting, um, all of the, everything written out there was due for multiply lifting because that's what was the big thing was. So it was like everybody needs to squat wide. Let's ignore their hip structure. That's just how you do it as a power lifter. And then you see tons of people with hurt hips because they're not yep. made to be there. You know? <laughs> and they don't have this sport of a multiply suit on their hips. And like a lot of people ignore the fact that those multiply guys are they're literally binding up their hips on purpose.
1: Oh yeah. You
0: know, and it's one hundred percent on purpose to move more weight. And you know, that that doesn't translate to the, the average athlete or average human that, I mean, arguably the average human is lifting weights to look better and live longer. Uh, yeah. So they go to this ultra-wide squat and now they hurt more and, you know, potentially don't live as long. So they just killed what they were trying to do.
1: But you see that with ultra-wide sumo, too. I mean, there was, I won't name their names, but, you know, some guys who got pretty famous for... Pulling a lot of weight, and then a couple of the ones I checked up on, they just you just munched their hips entirely, you know. And I've I have long femurs, so I've tried to pull wide sumo. I can do kind of a modified sumo, but you know, technically via physics, I shove my toes almost out near the end of the plates, and it's fine for lighter weight. But when it gets heavy, man, my hips absolutely freaking hate me. I'm just like, ah, eh, I don't want to pay that rice
2: yeah i mean i i think there's certain things that's just like you'll always struggle with a certain area but and even still it's different for everyone like not not everyone who has like let's say they have a long torso is going to have huge back discrepancy but that'll probably be where you would fail in your strength like that's where you would have the most back and abs basically the most leakage essentially so sure and and like it'll be consistent throughout your your whole career for the most part like i've never seen anyone who like really flipped it where it's like they went from I mean, certainly you end up with different problems. The way this thing's a little bit different, but just in general, strength and how they apply force to the ground. I've never seen anyone go from like, oh, you know, you have, you're always shoulders are diving forward, you know, out of the squat. And it's like you're always going to have to kind of like maintain your back and mid back strength, right? Like that'll all, so like once you know what it is, it's like okay, now you just make sure and keep it up to par with your lifts going up. And you'll see easy progress from that. But I've never seen anyone go from like one or two things, you know, like you find one or two really good assistance work exercises for you. You can kind of hammer those, wave them up and down. But it's not like you have to go way over the top, focusing on
0: the weakness.
1: Yeah, my only comment back to what Phil was saying too is, if I'm doing an assessment on someone, I'll just use, you know, old school mid-range manual muscle testing just to get an idea on the table, you know, what muscles are firing the way that they should. And until we get all those, you know, firing quite good in the mid-range, granted I'm biased, I primarily use RPR, then, are you at? because um, you're always trying to sort out is it a neurologic thing or is it a structural thing? You know, structural things you're probably not going to always a, a neurologic change to it.
0: Yeah. Oh, Then we get back to the you know everybody's unbalanced rightfully so like my left arm oh, yeah. will well, always I be to some degree. Yeah my left arm will always be weaker than my right because I'm right handed and I use my right hand all the time. Now, do we need to make those balanced? No, not perfectly. Should we aim to make the gap smaller? Yeah, probably so. you know, yeah, like there's a lot of times I will just do a little an extra set or something for the weak side, you know, like my left leg, the one that was massively injured, will always be weaker. Do I do a little bit of extra work for that? Yeah, uh, it's not like I throw in a whole extra day for that, uh just a little bit here or there, and over time that adds up. And will they ever match? No. Do I want them to? No, I don't care. Do I want to close that gap a little bit? Yes. Um, you know, because there's just no way I could make my left arm catch up with my right unless I just like tape my arm behind my back and decide to use my left all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know,
1: but. Yeah. That's all the PRI stuff. Postural Restoration Institute, you know, your liver's more often on one side, your heart's skewed the other side, your lungs are different sizes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree. I mean, you, you want to try to close the gap. You know, the Bergoshansky is famous for saying all elite level athletes are asymmetric, which is true. Mm-hmm. But at some point if that gets too far away, yeah now you start running the risk of injury. Yep. But I think in fitness again, right, it's a pendulum. You go from one side to the other side too too aggressively. And I remember we were at a seminar years ago, someone asked my buddy Adam Glass this and they're like he's like, Yeah, you should probably try to be Symmetrical as best you can, but just know you're going to be asymmetric. He's like, I'm not going to leave this seminar and walk backwards to my car to try to be more symmetrical during the day. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah. even though I spend most of my time walking forwards. So yeah. he's like, just, you know, don't go crazy with it. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. And that you see that in the fitness realm. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen, and it seemed to get better, like that preventative maintenance crowd, uh, yeah. preventative training. Like, they were so preventative that they stopped progress. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we're going a little too over far, you know. Yeah. When, when your workout is all, it's 90%, like, preventative and restorative and 10% progress, uh, we've taken things too far. Like, you're not going to be perfect. Like, you, you have these people that strive for perfection in that. And you can't make it that far. There's, there's got to be some give. But, so... We can call it a day. It was a good show. So. Yeah. All right, everybody fun, have man. an enjoyable weekend and watch some football. I'm ready for fall. I'm over this heat. So. Oh. <laughs> You're done up there with Gabby and Sean. Are you going
1: back their way or? Uh, yeah, we got to stay with them the last couple of days, which was awesome. awesome. Jody got a, a tattoo by Sean. So oh, shout nice. out to. Tattoo Ally and Bozeman if you're around. And yep. That yeah, was great. Got to lift in their gym two days. Brought out the Hunter Pontiac oh. replica. So yeah, I
0: was say, I Sean got a lift.
1: Yeah, on his right and left. Almost on the left. Very close. And Gabby got a lift on it by using the other hand to stop the rotation. And there you go. That yeah, was a good time. It was super fun to see them again.
0: Fun. So, yep. Shout out to those guys up there. Yeah. So we will catch you all next week.
2: See ya.